So today we start a 14-week series we are entitling The Heart of Worship, looking at what the Word of God says about the worship of God. And today we're going to start in Psalm 100. So if you have your Bibles or your phones nowadays and you want to follow along, Psalm 100. Before we share the words of this psalm with you this morning, as I shared a couple weeks ago, there are many Christians that believe that all that matters is that we worship God. It really doesn't matter how we worship God. And yet over and over again in the Bible, God instructs us, teaches us, guides us, leads us in how to worship him. In fact, Jesus even said to the woman in Samaria that God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So with that said, would you follow along with me as we look at Psalm 100 this morning? It's actually entitled, A Thanksgiving Psalm. Verse 1, shout out praise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with joy. Enter his presence with joyful singing. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give him thanks. Praise his name, for the Lord is good. His loyal love endures, and he is faithful through all generations. First, I want us to see this morning, and we just sang about it, but even as Christians and even as churches, we can we can get sort of sideways and, and not be where we need to be at times. Do you see very clearly, even from these five verses, that the center of our worship, that the center of what you and I do as a community of believers, as a church, is God? That it's not us? <laughs> Notice it's Shout out praise to the Lord. It's worship the Lord. It's acknowledge the Lord. It is his gates that we enter. It is his courts that we come into. It is his name that we give thanks to, and it's his name that we praise. It's about him. And I think maybe one of the reasons why 48% of regular church go goers have said we have been more than a year since we've experienced the presence of God is because when we go to church many times nowadays, it's not about God anymore. It's about us. Man has become the focus of church and the activities of the church and the programs of the church. And churches can be filled with all kinds of ministries and programs. And we can fill up our social calendars with all the things of the church. But where is God in all of it? And is he really the focus of what we're doing? Is it really him that we want to see and experience and engage with and touch and feel? And so Psalm 100 is saying, are we really making this about God? 
Are we really looking to him and centering everything around him? Now, because this message today is going to focus on how we worship God, I'm not going to take a lot of time, but I also want you and I to see in this psalm that the psalmist not only gives us the object of our worship, God, but he does touch on just some reasons, not all-inclusive, but some reasons why we should want to worship God. Verse 3, he made us. None of us would be here if it wasn't for God. We couldn't get here on our own. We didn't create ourselves. We are the product of a special creation of God. He personally, individually made each one of us. He knit us together, as the Bible says in Psalm 139, inside our mother's womb. He made us. Then it says, And we belong to him because not only is he our creator, he's our redeemer. He saved us. And we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, if we are a child of God. Therefore, Paul said to the Corinthians, we are not our own. We belong to him. Then he says, we are his people. Think about it. The people of God. We get to call ourselves the people of God. We get to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are the children of God. And as we've been talking about in our uh, series in 1 John, he cares for us, he looks out for us, he protects, he provides. We are the sheep of his pasture. And and if you and I uh, have the faith to be willing to follow our shepherd, we will come to realize there is no greater shepherd, there's no, you know, shepherd that is Better than following Jesus, he's the good shepherd. He's the one that will always lead us to the, to the still waters and to the green pastures. We will never lack for anything as his sheep. Amen. And then in verse 5, he gives us more reasons why we should worship God. He's good. You wouldn't think we would need to be reminded of that, but we do because many times throughout life, because of the circumstances of life, we begin to doubt God's goodness based upon what we see rather than what we know by faith. And the psalmist says, no, no, the Lord is good. I hope you believe that today. And then he says, and here's another reason why we should worship him, his loyal love endures. There's never a moment of our life, there's never a day of our life, even a second of our life, that God's love is cut off from us for any reason. He is absolutely loyal to us. His love is unconditional. He is with us in his love through the the worst of days of our life and the best of the days of our life. He is constant. He is steadfast. He is always there. We can always count on God, even though many times God can't always count on us. We should praise him for that. And then he says he is faithful through all generations. The faithfulness of God. Every morning we get up, we realize God has been faithful. His mercies are now extended to me again this day. The sun came up today. Did you worry about the sun coming up when you went to bed last night? Probably not. Why did you let that go? That would be pretty important if the sun didn't come up. And yet we just sort of just take the faithfulness of God for granted. Oh, sun's going to come up tomorrow. Moon's going to come up tomorrow night. 
you see. We can, we can you know, sort of let things, the big things go, but sometimes it's the little things of life. It's like, yeah, God can have the whole universe taken care of and make sure that we've got enough air to breathe every day and stuff like that, but I can't trust God for, you know, this little thing in my life right now. So the psalmist, I want us to begin this morning by, again, realizing when we talk about worship, we've got to talk about the object of worship, and we'll continue to do this through our 14-week series. It's about God. It's always been about God. It always will be about God. That's what worship is about. It is connecting with the person of God. It is engaging with and experience the presence of God. And as I said at the very beginning, how tragically sad that 48% of regular church attenders said it had been over a year since they experienced his presence. There's something wrong then in our church. Amen. There's something wrong in our worship if regular church attenders are not experiencing the presence and person of God. And then he gives us reasons why. But I want us particularly today to focus on seven imperatives that the psalmist lists here in these five verses that teach us how to worship God. Notice, I'm going to lay out all seven, and then I want to come back and talk about them with us this morning. They are shout, worship, enter, acknowledge, enter again, give, and praise. Those are the seven imperatives of how to worship the Lord. And notice we start out then in verse 1 with this word, shout, shout out praise to the Lord. This word is a celebration of great victory. Now think about that in the context of being a Christian. He's saying, do you realize, Christian, that every day we should celebrate our victory that has been secured for us, not through us, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, that every day we live in victory, that Jesus Christ is the one who conquered sin and death and hell, and we live in that victory every day. We live in the victory of never having to, you know, live our lives in fear of death. Why? Because of the victory that Jesus Christ provided for us. We should celebrate his victory that you and I share in every day. You see, he is the conqueror. He is the victor. This word was used in, in Bible times for when great military leaders who had won great battles and, and great victories uh, were coming home and being received by, by all the people of the land. And he's saying, my goodness, we as Christians, we should be that way with our king, with our champion, with our victor, because Jesus Christ has faced every enemy that there is to face, and he's still the undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the universe. There is nothing that can ever defeat Jesus. There's nothing that ever will defeat Jesus. And you and I just simply get to bask in his victory every day. And every day throughout eternity, for the ages to come, forever and ever, you and I will live in the victory that Jesus Christ secured for us. No wonder, he says to the people, shouldn't we shout out praise to the Lord? 
just yesterday. For those of you that follow this, college football started yesterday. And we have no trouble as a culture when it comes, especially in football season or really any sport, to just shout. Team scores a touchdown, we go crazy. And, you know, and you see very many people that go to these games and stuff and they paint their faces and they're all dressed. That's some of you, right? I, I know. <laughs> I've seen you. And you wear the jerseys. And, I, I, and listen, I'm not criticizing you. I'm right there with you. But my point is this. We can get so excited about worldly things that a million years isn't going to matter. How about us as Christians getting a little excited about the Lord Jesus Christ and being willing to shout and shout praises to the one who has given us the victory. That's one of the things that God says, hey, you want to know how to worship me? Shout out praise to the Lord, all the earth. Then the, the second one is worship, verse 2. Worship the Lord with joy. The word worship here also means to serve. You say, well, then why isn't it translated serve? Because in this context and in the language, they are inseparable. In other words, God wants us to understand to worship him is to serve him. Worship and work go together with God. There is no separation. So if you and I say we are worshiping the Lord, but we are not serving him, we are not laborers in his kingdom, we are not working in any way for the kingdom of God, then God would be like, well, then you're not really worshiping me. Because that's how you worship me. You not only worship me by shouting out praises, but you also worship me through your faithful service, through getting up every day and putting on the, the apron of a servant and saying, Lord, what would you have me to do today? It's making ourselves available to God every day. It's not about our ability. It's about our availability. God will make us able. God enables the one who makes themselves available. All God asks is that we show up and we are willing to do whatever his will is that he wants for us to do, and he will make sure that he equips us and enables us to do it. Serve the Lord with joy. By the way, I'll come back to that second half of this part of the verse later on. So that's it. It's not just shouting out praises. It's worshiping the Lord through service. And, and one of the ways that we serve him is also by regularly attending our church and being a responsible member of the body knowing that I pour myself into this body and, and I can encourage and I can support and, and God can use me to build up the body of Christ so that every member does its part. That's one of the ways that I serve is just simply by being faithful. Third, enter his presence with joyful singing. And I want to take the two enters together. 
So if you get down to verse 4, he then also says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The reason I want to take these two enters together is he's calling us to enter two different areas, if you will, but the word enter is the same. It simply means come in. God is inviting us in. It's a word that speaks about God's desire to get closer, to get nearer, to make connection. That, that's part of worship. Come. Because through Jesus Christ, God has taken care of on his end all the barriers, all the obstacles that would keep us from getting close and getting near to God. That's one of the reasons why Jesus Christ died on the cross, so that not only could our sins be forgiven, but that any obstacle and barrier of sin between us and God had been torn down so that we could get as close to God as God desires us to be. The problem is many times in our worship, we don't want to get as close to God as God actually wants to get as close to us. Amen. And that's, yet, that's what worship's all about. And yet again, in, in our churches today and in many Christians' lives, I don't want to get too close to God. I, I don't want to experience his presence, you see. And yet that's one of the ways we worship him. And notice, first of all, he says, enter his presence. And then in verse 4, enter his gates, enter his courts, which is synonymous with his house. So notice something here in the psalm. Entering into God's presence and entering into his house are the same thing in God's mind because, yes, you and I can enter into his presence individually outside of church, but there's also that dynamic that we're going to see in the coming weeks where God calls us out of our individual homes and encourages us to come and assemble together as his people, as a community of believers, and that God says... I'm going to meet with my people especially and, and pour out my presence especially when my people come together. That's why Jesus said, even in the Gospels, where two or three are assembled in my name, I will be there in a special way. Amen. You see. And we miss that as Christians today when we don't regularly assemble together because God is saying, I'm going to pour out my presence. I'm going to meet with you. I want you to come, come in, enter, get closer to me, get near to me, draw into me. I'm here. I want you to experience me. I want you to feel my presence. I want you to sense my presence. I want you to engage with me personally as a group, you see. So enter is a huge part of worship, you see. God doesn't want us to stay at a distance with him. God wants us to get as close to him as we can possibly and humanly get. And God is looking for those hearts that truly want to get closer to him. And God will say, come on. I've never had a time in my life where Jeff Royce wanted and desired to get closer to God and God said, nope, sorry. No, not, no, not now. I don't have the time for you. No, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel it, Jeff. No, no, no. Every time Jeff wanted to get closer to God, God was like, come on. And you think about that in the, in the context of, of a church. What would it be like if our churches was filled with people that just 
couldn't wait to get closer to God as not only individuals, but as a group, and that we just kept pressing further and further into God? What would the dynamic be like as we just kept being near and near and near to God and, and his person and his presence just became even more and more real that even as we walked out of this place and we went to our separate lives and all of that until we assembled back together again, we took the presence of God so strongly with us and then we engaged individually with him so that when we came back together, it was just a continuation of being in the presence of God and worshiping him all week because isn't that what the psalmist also says? He doesn't and say, come into the house of God and then begin to experience his presence or come and, and start to sing. Notice what he says. Enter his presence with joyful singing. You know what that means? That means the joyful singing started before you even got to his presence. Do you see that? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That means that the worship started before we ever got here. It means that we were out there in our homes worshiping the Lord Monday through Saturday and we were in our cars on our way to church worshiping the Lord and desiring to get closer to him so that by the time we got here, we were literally, we were like shaken. We were bursting. We, we couldn't wait to get in here and go, man, I can't wait because I've been just filled with worship all, all week with, with God and just getting so close to him. I can't wait to get with my brothers and sisters who were doing the same thing and let's just start tying each other together and let's just see what happens. Amen. Let's go back up to verse three. I don't want to miss the acknowledge. That's the next one. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Note something. In that word acknowledge are two other words that really give us uh, insight into what acknowledge means. The word know, K-N-O-W, and the word knowledge. You see, the word acknowledge here means to ascertain by seeing something, by focusing on something, by examining something. God is saying that part of our worship of how to worship him, how do we worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, we only do that by seeing him more clearly and more accurately, by coming to know the one true God and who he really is, not who others think he is, not who others tell us he is, not who even maybe we think he is, but to get the truth from God himself, who he revealed himself to be. So really, gaining knowledge about God and getting to know the true God more and more, that's worship. And it's pausing long enough and stopping long en enough in our life to actually look at God and see him. Because the only way you and I really begin to learn about something is to take the time to look at it long enough. Because isn't it true, the longer you look at something, the more you examine something, the closer you get to something, the longer you actually stay there and focus on something, the more you see. And God is saying, here's the problem, especially in our busy world today, that as Christians, we don't take the time to really get to know God because we don't stop long enough to really look at him. And that's why over and over again in the Bible, it's always encouraging us, see God, 
Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Are we missing something because we're not really focused and seeing God, acknowledging that he is God and that the Lord is God? And that every day my worship is actually getting to know him and gaining in an accurate, correct knowledge of who he is through my own personal interaction with him. And then as we come together as a church, that when we come together, guess what we're doing? We're hopefully increasing our knowing of God and our knowledge of God. And we are taking time at least once a week, if not a couple times a week, to stop long enough in our busy lives and say, God, I'm going to take the next hour and I'm going to look to you and I'm going to look at you and I'm going to see you now for a while so that I get to know you a little bit better. Acknowledge. Then, verse 4, give. Give him thanks. Literally, shower him with thanksgiving. And, of course, the psalmist has already said we should be entering his gates, his house, with thanksgiving. Which means that, again, it's a lifestyle of being thankful. It's a lifestyle of counting our blessings. Remember the story in the Bible where Jesus healed ten lepers and only one took the time to go back and thank Jesus for the healing and the other nine just went on their way? And so often, even as Christians, we can start to develop sort of that habit where we just take the blessings of God and the things God does for us even every day for granted, and we just don't stop and thank him. And because we even live in the culture we do, it's so easy for us as Christians to start sort of not being thankful because we're focused on the one or two things that we don't have instead of the bazillion things that we do have. So easy. And that's why giving him thanks is something that you and I must choose to do. It's something that we must be very deliberate about and very intentional about. It's like I've got to build into my life the discipline of thanking God. And that that's one of the ways that I worship him. And then that overflows that thankful heart into a whole lifestyle of worship where I can't help but worship God all week long. And by the time I get into church on Sunday, I'm just ready to continue the worship that I've done Monday through Saturday because I've just lived with a thankful heart, thanking God all week for all the things that he does for me every second of the day. And we, again, know this is a struggle even based upon the Bible itself, because if you go all the way back to the very beginning, God put Adam and Eve, the very first human beings, in this wonderful, beautiful paradise garden. And God said to them, you can have it all. You can have it all. Enjoy it all except one. Don't do that tree over there. You can have all the other fruit. You can enjoy the entire paradise I've created for you. Just don't eat from that one tree. Human beings, right? Instead of being thankful for the entire paradise, perfect 
paradise that God had made for them and all the provision that God provided in this beautiful garden paradise, what were they focused on? The one thing that God said they couldn't have or that they didn't get rather than all the stuff that God had already given them. And I'm just saying that because, you know, I'm confessing we all struggle with that. We can start focusing on the one or two things we don't have in our life that we would like instead of every day thanking God for what we already have. And even getting to the point where if God didn't do one more thing for me for the rest of my life, I'm good. Contentment. Living with contentment. So the psalmist says, you want to know how to worship God? Give him thanks. Be thankful. Count your blessings every day. You know, how often do we, even as Christians, we can go, and I'm just going to use this because it's the year, we can go 365 days out of the year and have pretty good health, and then the next day that we're not feeling good, oh, my goodness, God, what are you doing? Why, you know? What about the other 365 days? Did we thank God for feeling good those 365 days? Or did we wait till the day we didn't feel good and then we complained to God? The psalmist is saying, we need to start allowing God to change our heart and to look around at all the things that we have rather than the things that we don't have. Amen. And then he says in verse 4, praise his name. Praise. It means to elevate. It means to magnify God and his name. Why his name? Because his name is basically the revelation of all that God has given us about himself up to this point. His name is the summation of everything, which is why the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are set safely on high. His name embodies all that he has said about himself to us. And he's saying, are we elevating the name of God? Are we elevating God? Are we putting him up in his rightful place in our life? Are we magnifying him? You know, John the Baptist made a great statement when he saw Jesus one day to his followers. He, he looked at Jesus, and then he looked to his followers that were following him, and he says these words. He, speaking of Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. That's worship. That, that's a statement of worship from John the Baptist. Jesus must increase in my life, I must decrease. That's worship. That's praising his name. That is, my, that is making God bigger and everything and everyone else smaller. Because here's the deal. If you and I would fill our vision in life with God and make him so big, then all the things that stress us out and cause us anxiety and concern and care and worry and all the, the, the sleepless nights and all the physical ailments that we have because we're so stressed out, all those would leave because all these things are not near as big as our God is big. And when we fill our vision with a great big God, infinite God, the God of the Bible that has revealed himself to us, 
then there really isn't anything that can compare to him, which is why God says in the Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. <laughs> know that I'm God, which goes back to acknowledging that the Lord is God. So in this Psalm, we not only learn about the object of worship, God, that everything should center around him, and some reasons why we should worship. But in these seven imperatives here, we learn how to worship God. But one more thing. No, actually two more things. I want you to note not only the actions of how to worship God. I don't want to leave today without talking for a few moments, and we'll talk about this more throughout our series, about the attitude of how to worship God. Because notice in verse 2, it says, worship the Lord with what? Joy. And then it says, and enter his presence with what? Joyful singing. In other words, God is saying, you want to know what the attitude of our heart should be? It should be that when we worship God, we do it gladly. We do it willingly. We do it happily. We do it joyfully. We do it because we want to, not because it's a religious duty or obligation or box that we just simply check off once a week in our busy schedule, you see. Think again about how our worship in our churches would be transformed if everybody that filled a seat in all the churches, even in our own country, were there willfully, gladly, joyfully, and happily. They weren't just there because it was their duty, their obligation, because someone made them feel guilty. And can I just say this as a pastor of a church? That's why you will never hear us at the Oasis, at least as long as I'm the pastor here, ever begging you to come to church or cajoling you to come to church or having some kind of contest to get you to church or something that we can give away to get you to church because you may show up to church but that's not worship, folks. God is looking for people who really want to be here. God is looking for people who, who can't wait to be here and who are here happily, joyfully, gladly, and willingly, not because their arm was twisted, not because they feel they have to, but because truly out of their heart, they can't wait to get here. They want to be here. Because you and I all know with other things in our life. That the only thing that will really make a difference and make an impact and be sustained over the long haul are the things that we really want. If pressure is coming outside of ourselves to do something, then we may do it for a while, but then resentment might start building in or bitterness, or we obviously won't sustain it unless we want it. There's got to be that self-motivation that comes from within. And I'm certainly not here to say or to teach that that doesn't mean we shouldn't encourage one another to be at church. The Bible does that too, or encourage each other to serve and all of that. But at the end of the day, we can't live off of that. God wants to begin a fire inside of us in the depths of our soul, in the, in the depths of our heart. And, and he wants us to live a self-motivated Christian life. 
so that what we do for him is because we want to out of the simple joy of knowing him and and being a saved Christian and knowing my sins are forgiven and, and all of the wonderful things because we share in his victory. But then before I let you go today too, and this will bring us full circle to getting ready to praise the Lord again in music, is note here, when God teaches us how to worship him, that music is really important to God of how we worship him. Notice at the very beginning, the title is a thanksgiving psalm. The word thanksgiving there means adoration. So literally, it's an adoration song. It's a song. Which, by the way, that's what all 150 psalms are. It is the songbook of the Bible. And isn't it also very interesting that the largest book of the Bible, which is the book of Psalms, is a songbook? Doesn't that tell us then something about the priority of God with music? And then if you look at verse 2, enter his presence with what? Joyful singing. Verse 4, enter his courts with praise. The word praise there means songs of praise. God is saying, you want to know how to worship me? Worship me with music. Worship me with song. Because that's always been important to God. And God has revealed that about himself and and the desire of his heart throughout his word. That's why God says, I want you to praise me with instruments. I want you to praise me with your voice. I want to be praised with music. That's why when we get to heaven, heaven is going to be a place that is filled with wonderful music and praise and worship of God throughout all of eternity. And can I say this? It really struck me several years ago when I was reading about John being transported to heaven for just a short time. And and John and Paul both sort of said this because Paul went there too that it wasn't so much what they saw when they got there that made the impact on them. And you would think, oh my goodness, I got, I got to glimpse heaven. It's going to be, you know, seeing that and seeing this. But it wasn't what they saw that made the biggest impact on them. It's what they heard. It's what they heard. And they, they don't even go on to describe it because I have a feeling that it was indescribable that they heard music and sounds and voices and things that was just beyond their ability to be able to articulate and express. God says, you want to know how to worship me as your God? Shout, worship, enter, acknowledge, give, praise, and do it with music. Do it with instruments. Do it with voices. Come together every voice, and lift up our voices in praise to the Lord. Could we stand, please? Lord, we come before you this morning as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has secured our victory for us, the one who has given us the victory. And God, we humbly stand in your presence right now. And we ask, God, that you would enable us as your people to praise you and to worship you, to adore you, to bless you, to elevate you, to magnify you as you deserve, God. 
as we get ready, God, to worship you with music because you desire us to worship you that way, that, God, every voice in this auditorium would be lifted up to you. But more importantly than that, God, every heart would be lifted up to you. That, God, we would give you thanks, that we would praise your name, that we would acknowledge that you, Lord, are God, that we would enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise, that we would be willing, God, to shout out praises to our Lord God because you, God, are great and you are worthy of our praise. God, you have taught us that your presence is most strongly encountered in the midst of a group of people who are lifting you up and elevating you and praising you. So, God, I pray right now that your presence would just be felt in this room right now like never before, that it would be so real to us. That, God, you would allow us to connect with you and get closer to you and get nearer to you as a church. And that, Lord, what we are doing here today is just the beginning, God. That you would transform our worship as a church that the way our worship looks like 14 weeks from now wouldn't even look the same as it does now, God. That, God, we would be a church on fire for you, God. That we would make it about you and not about us. That we would truly begin to know your heart of worship. God, take us way beyond, God, where we've ever been before. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.